Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. You're tuning in to the Cyber Hub and CISO Talk Podcast, Veteran November Series that honors the brave men and women who serve this nation by sharing their stories of service. Each year for the entire month of November, we publish a daily podcast about these veterans. Buckle up and get ready for Veteran November. And now your host, James Azar. Well, folks, welcome to another great episode of Veteran November. I have a very special guest joining me on today's episode, Dutch Schwartz, the master, the cloud security Dutch, welcome to the show. Hey, James, thrilled to be here. Always happy to chat with you. Always happy to have you on, folks. Veteran November is a series I'm doing for the entire month of November bring on a veteran for about 10, 15 minutes. We talk about why they joined the military, all kinds of great stuff. So please make sure to like, share, thank them in the comments below as well for their service. That's really all they're asking for. You don't need to send them gift cards or swag or anything. Just a simple thank you goes a long way. Dutch, as we kind of kick off today's episode, uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about what you did in the military and, and, um, and, and kind of what branch you were in. Sure, yeah. So I was in the, uh, the US Army the entire time. And I'm, I'm thrilled that I had the opportunity to do sort of all the things. And what I mean by that is I was enlisted in the National Guard. I was on active duty as an officer. I was in the reserves as an officer. And I was mobilized as an officer. So I've sort of, you know, um, hopefully, you know, when I talk with people about what the service is and what it means, you know, I'm trying to bring that kind of that broad view, you know, of all the different aspects. Because all those things are, are critically important, but they're different, right? And so each of those is you know, a uh, slightly different approach in how they do things. So, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have, um, and I really feel fortunate about being enlisted in an officer. So I, I, I'm really leveraged that over the years, probably more valuable than I realized initially that to have that perspective from both sides is, is the practitioner perspective. And then, and then the leadership perspective is, it has been, you know, really helpful for, for me and my personal career. It is the, 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 um, the service of being a lot of people think you go active duty, but they forget the national guard, which is just as important. And then they forget the reserves. How long were you in all together? When you look at from enlistment 
to to you know sure. be a service guardsmen and so forth. Yeah, so so fifteen years I was a cadet in in, the, in a portion of that. So it's really from my perspective. So I enlisted on the 39th anniversary of uh, D-Day, so December seventh. Um, so it's from 1990 to 2005. So 15 years, uh, 11 and a half officially, right in my DD-214. But 15 years, you know, was my, was my time and my association with the military. So very interesting. You enlisted on D-Day. Right? Yes, so on purpose. My, my next question is, why did you enlist in the service? I'm dying to hear this story. <laughs> well, well, let's hear it. Why yeah, so, yes, yeah, so if you scroll back, you remember the time period, right? So it's 1990, right? So um you know, out of high school, I'm saving up money to go to college. I don't really, you know, and so I saved up enough money to get to you know, pay for one semester. That was my plan. I didn't know how I was, what I was going to do beyond that. So I get to I get to university. I had a friend who had a friend. She's like, hey, have you ever thought about ROTC? And I said, yeah, you know, I did the ASVAB. I did all the tests. But I grew up in a really small rural town in, in the Midwest. And I didn't know anybody who was in any of the branches of service. So I didn't really feel like I you know, could make any kind of informed decision. I said, yeah, I looked at it, but I really didn't know enough. And so I was really fortunate that I was then able to meet with other people and then through the cadets and, of course, meet the either the NCOs in particular and then get some understanding of, OK, what's this all about? And so I actually technically became a cadet first. And then um, I started looking, OK, let me I really want to enlist in the National Guard. And if you remember at the time, George W., was, you know, the, this was the August to December timeframe as things started to heat up. And so as I looked at doing the enlistment, um, I talked with the recruiter and we, and we specifically, you know, I, I said, Hey, can we do it on, on December 7th? Like that was my, that was my goal. So we, I think it was actually slide for the second or something, but we moved it slightly. And then I didn't tell my parents because I knew my mom would freak out. Um, so I waited until I was already sworn in. And then I called from the MEP center and then told my parents that, Hey, I just enlisted in the national guard. So that was that was my, <laughs> that was my story because I knew my mom would be understandably concerned. Right? What are you thinking about, right? Um, you know, in that time period, by the way, 1990 was uh, George H W. Oh, I just say W. I'm sorry. Yeah, H W. My fault. Yeah, right. It was H W. Was like right before the Gulf War. You enlisted <laughs> right. literally in that time period, yes. right before the Gulf War, bro. Right. Um, it was that. That was a very interesting period, right? Because it was the fall of the Soviet Union. Right. Like, like the year before 89, me. yeah, right? Like you can remember the Absolutely. fall of the Soviet Union, the, the, the Berlin Wall coming down, I believe. Is, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's the, the, the mm-hmm. reunification of Germany, East Germany and West Germany. Right. Man, that, that's, that's wow. That's a hell of a time. It was. It was a really cool time period. And you're right, because like when I talked to recruiters, so let's say that was probably in 88, 89, that was what everybody was focused on. The Russians are going to come for the full the gap. There's going to be a big land war in Europe. Like that was sort of the textbooks. That's what, you know, people were focused on. So the whole, you know, what became the Gulf War was totally unexpected. And then from a training standpoint, our most recent conflicts, of course, have been obvious to everybody, Vietnam, but then when subsequently Panama and Grenada. So we really understood jungle warfare very, very well. Desert warfare, not so much. We had to go back to like World War II. Yeah, we did. That was an interesting time period. But I was very lucky that the instructors, the cadre, as we call them, the cadre were, let me think about it, to a person, they were all Vietnam veterans. And so I was really fortunate to be trained by senior NCOs who had been, you know, were veterans of of Vietnam, in some cases, Vietnam and Iraq later, you know, as, as my time went on. So 
I was really, that's just really fortunate, fortunate for me that I learned directly from them. And I would ask them, why do you care so much? You know, like in a nice way, like, Hey, like, we're like 18, 19, 20 year old kids, like, you know, probably snotty and arrogant, like, you know, God. and they said, we want you to be the leaders that we didn't have in Vietnam. And that always sat with me. You know, I had a lot of opportunity to learn from them and they say, I'm going to pour all of my experience and learning into, to all of you so that you go out and become, you know, really. Well, I mean, but, but, you know, we can't compare times, right? I mean, the, the, the Vietnam time, we had a draft. This country has a totally draft different. since Vietnam. Sure. Uh, you know, you enlisted, you know, December 7th. D-Day meant something for you. Absolutely. Right? Uh, for, for a lot of people, it meant something. If, you know, if, you're, if, if your family's European, if they're Jewish, if they're, they're a part of the, the, the families or, or people who were persecuted during World War II and chased down, then, right. then D-Day is the day that everything turned. It was the... It was the the day the tide turned. It was the day where we knew we could win um, this war and really had Germany on its heels. Um, you know, Vietnam was a very, very different, different time period, um, and, and and one that I completely understand. Now you look at that, and and and, and you kind of go back to all these different skills you just spoke about. But what's one of them that's been really instrumental in your life that the military taught you? Yeah, I think you know I would effectively call it being a chaos manager. You know, and so I'm I'm not naturally um, like really organized tightly and regimented. And but I learned to do that because I know that, uh, you know, the planning and the preparation is really critical. Right. And so you just spend a lot of time planning and preparing and knowing that it will never go that way. And so that that mindset of but I'm going to study, you know, I'm going to know what happened at the Remagen Bridge in World War Two. So that if I see something similar or I can apply it to a novel situation, but knowing that it's never going to be that way, right? So this is that kind of dual thing where you plan, you prepare, you study, you try to prep, and then you know that you, as soon as things uh, begin happening, it won't it won't work out that way. And and being comfortable, being uncomfortable that that's what I you know sort of coach people on is you just, even my own kids I'm like you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. It's just that's just the way it is. Yeah. I feel like comfort is very overrated. Yes, right. Like yes. it's extremely overrated. Like comfort is scary to me. Um, and I think it's scary for a lot of vets, right? Like complacency is is something that we're taught to despise in the military, right? Like you don't want to be complacent. Right. Sure. Um, and, and, and I think that's the same in life. When you think of, of this country, you th- what does America symbolize to you? What does America mean to you, Dutch? Well, I think America is still uh, probably the best of, of us in, from uh, the opportunity to um, come from completely different backgrounds, completely different uh, frames of reference and cultural models and, and where we come from and still try to orient on one thing. I think it's really important that that doesn't get lost, right? I, I think that does America have lost? Of course, any group of more than two of us, right? You know, based on humans, you're going to have challenges. You're going to have, you're going to have things that you, you, you want to try to improve on, right? But overall, I think, the amount of good that can be done in in a, you know, a democratic republic with these opportunities is is arguably the best. At least it's the best we've come up with so far, right? And so you really have to kind of lean into that and say, "Hey, look, you know, we we've got challenges, but we have a history of succeeding, you know, through those times that are difficult." So I sort of lean on that that I, we're going to be okay. You know, yeah, this country has seen many dark days. Um, yeah, and 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 it rose from the ashes only to survive those and come out stronger. Um, 
You know, I was, you know, we're, we're the ultimate underdog story, right? right? America is the ultimate underdog story. Um, and it'll always remain that when you look at your transition, um, after your time in the service, what's one key away uh, from your transition that you, you can share with, with anyone about, about your service? Yeah, I, I think the key thing, and, and there's there's more like kind of skills bridge and training and things today probably than there were in my time frame. Having said that, there's still not enough. And so what I would encourage and you know veterans to think about is if you focus narrowly on skills, right? Like I know how to do us a certain thing, then those are really tangible and easy to describe, but they don't transfer as well. But what if you step back, you look at the military overall, any of the branches it's a learning organization. And I usually argue it's the world's largest learning organization and we have right. a long history. And so that those lessons that, that can be applied to a new role um, are really important. So if you look at competencies, right? Uh, being a self learner, drive for results, dealing with ambiguity, those things transfer. And you can take those directly out of being a veteran, by the way, whatever your MOS or whatever your specialty was, and you can apply those because competencies will come with you into a new role because I can train you. I've, we, we know how to train people. We know how to coach and lead and train people, right? And so we, we have a tendency to get really fixated on it. And, and I'll say the same thing for me personally, right? I wrote my resume when I left and then I had a really, you know, and somebody say to me, if you didn't know anything about the U.S. Army, not even the military, just about the U.S. Army, like flip it over and then read it again. And I flipped it on. I'm like, oh my gosh, this thing is terrible. I mean, I had acronyms in there. I had, I had words that meant a lot to me rightful platoon leader, but it doesn't, it, but, and it, and it was hard to scratch that out, you know, but it, it didn't translate. So you have to translate it that into, well, what would this mean in a civilian sector? How can I still shine a light on the accomplishments and what I've learned and, and, and you know, and, and what I want to retain? You've got to, you've got to translate that. You've got to make that mental switch, you know, to say, what would this mean to somebody? How can my, you know, how can my competencies come through? So that's what I encourage people to do is, and then bounce it off of other people. Say, read this thing for me. What is this? Will this, will this, this yeah. yeah, will this sing? You know, will you get it if you read this thing? So yeah, that's what I would take away. I love that. What's one thing you loved about your military service, Dutch? A shared of uh, a shared sense of purpose, hands down. Like the shared sense of purpose that, yeah, we could disagree. We have, of course, as you know, we have friendly rivalries amongst the branches, which Sometimes outside of if you weren't if you weren't close to the military or in the military yourself, like what you guys, you know, you guys don't like the insert the other branch here, right? And I'm like, no, 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 but it's like a family. Inside it's not the unanimous family. thing. We all don't like the Air Force, right? If we you love an and an army guy in a bar and an Air Force guy walks in. I always just yeah. that moment. They're always gonna be our younger sibling because they were part of the army. Right. And we were kind enough to let them go out on their own. And it's cute. And someday they'll, you know, they'll grow up and be a real branch of service. But yeah, but inside the family, of course, you know, you close ranks, pun intended. Right. And so like it's used that that shared sense of purpose that whatever it is you do, whether you were a firefighter or dental assistant or veterinarian or a military police officer or an accommodator, it doesn't matter because there's a shared sense of purpose that we that you're trying to you hope impact change and do good, you know, with a capital G as I call it, right? You know, so you're trying to do good and um, that sure sense of purpose is much harder to find, right? In, in civilian roles, you can, you can find it, but it's, but it's, but it's more difficult. 
It's it's far more difficult. It is, but I think the shared purpose is starting to come back into companies. I think successful companies bring shared purpose as part yes. of the mission statement. Absolutely, and I think that people are there's a more of an understanding now that you have to unlock that right. You have to have a shared sense of purpose, mission, whichever words you prefer, right? You know, but you have to have a culture that says, "Hey, we're aligned around these things. We value these things." And when you do that, then people that the, the creativity comes out, the innovation comes out, the collaboration, come, all of the good things that we all know from our, probably from our military experience that we probably just experienced because it was just part of the way it was. You, you notice the absence of it when you go right. into a culture that's not there. And you're like, whoa, people are just here. And I don't mean this pejoratively, but are oh, you just here for a paycheck? Like, I mean, okay. Like it, it, you, sometimes that is like, you have to like, well, I got to pay my rent this month. I mean, that's one thing, but I mean, in a more general sense, if you can if you can get people aligned around values and a purpose, great things happen. Great things happen. Indeed, when you do that. Indeed. folks. Dutch Schwartz, um, how can people get in touch with you, buddy? Oh, you can just find me on LinkedIn. That's probably where I'm the most active. Yeah, so just Dutch Schwartz on LinkedIn. Yeah, find me there. I'm always happy to to you know hopefully give good advice to veterans or at least you know listen and, and mentor and, and coach people up. So James, appreciate the the platform. I love what you do with Veteran in November. So uh, thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for coming on, folks. Another episode will drop tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern, every single day for the month of November. Please make sure to subscribe and tune in, listen to these stories. And a simple thank you in the comments is all it takes to make some of these uh, men and women feel really good about their service every now and then uh, and thank them for the month of November anyways. Folks, that's it for us here until tomorrow. Have a great rest of your day and God bless the United States of America. We love feedback, so make sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform.